Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 142 of Reclaiming the Faith. What does the Roman testudo or the Roman tortoise have to do with Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30? Find out today in our episode. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, please go check out my new album, Dusk and Dawn, anywhere you stream or download digital content. And you can hear one of those songs on that album at the end of today's episode. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK, and you can find our content on the omegafrequency.com website, or you can also go to our YouTube channel, Omega Frequency Live, to find all of that content there. All right, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into episode 142. Here we go. Uh, Just giving a little bit of context, starting in verse 23, but our main verses are 27 through 30. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Here's our passage. So only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. All right. So let's dive in. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves. I would never have guessed this <laughs> without doing this like word for word stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, that word conduct yourselves is not at all what I thought it meant. So I'm going to put up on the screen the notes here. And you see that that word conduct is polyuomai. Polyuomai. And it's very similar to the next word in Strong's, the word right beside it, 
in Strong's, which is uh, polytuma. Um, and so the first word, to live as a citizen, to, to conduct yourself, means to live as a citizen. And you can see the next word is a form of government or citizenship. So when he's talking about conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, he's basically saying to live like a citizen of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's kind of like an ambassador, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it makes, I don't know why this popped in my head, but I was thinking of like the Olympics. Like when you're those, uh, you know, the way that they kind of vet these Olympic athletes, you know, they're the fastest, they're the best in all these things, but you are given this, you know, long talk and probably multiple talks about how you represent your country. Yeah. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And so uh, as we're closing out, in ch- as, sorry, as chapter three closes out, I want to put this up on the screen as well. You see that this is something that is definitely on Paul's mind, this aspect of living, living as a citizen of the kingdom. This is Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. He says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, kind of like uh, follow me as I follow Christ and follow others who are following Christ. For many walk, many live, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await, sorry, we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So we are to live according to the pattern that um, we saw in Paul, the Philippians are, um, and he is patterning himself after Christ. He is trying to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Remember, not only was that the main theme of Jesus's preaching, the kingdom of God, it's also the main theme of Paul's preaching. You can see wherever he's going, he's talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, that's one of the last verses that you see in Acts is he, sorry, in the last chapter of Acts, uh, you see that he is teaching the kingdom of God. This is very, very important to him. And so the kingdom of God and the gospel of Christ Jesus are very, very similar. And I want to highlight a couple of things from from that. So you see, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only live, make sure that you're living as a citizen who is a citizen of the kingdom, basically showing someone worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want to talk about a couple of, of things here. This, uh, this word worthy Uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel, it means suitable because recognizing as fitting, having worth that matches the actual value. So, um, you know, there just in a really uh, surface level sense, I was going through my closet to find a shirt for tonight. And, um, you know, I saw so many shirts that maybe they used to fit me at one point, but now they don't. 
<laughs> they, uh, they might fit my son, who weighs about 130 pounds, but they don't fit me anymore. I should mm-hmm. probably get rid of a lot of those shirts. You know, I keep on uh, believing that one day I will reclaim my form, don't but that's a uh, <laughs> don't stop believing. But that's that's probably not going to happen. Uh, not with that attitude, Phil. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But you know, are we living in a manner that fits the gospel of Christ? Do we live in a manner that fits the kingdom of God? Um, that's suitable for it. So I want to talk about, like, I'm belaboring the point, but um, two aspects of the gospel. Not that there are two different gospels, but there are kind of two aspects of the gospel. Just like there are not two different gods or three different gods that we worship. There's one God. uh, You know, you have the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, all right? Three persons. Um, well, you have the gospel that also is one gospel, but it basically has like two sides to it. Um, and so you have the way into God's kingdom. That is the gospel. This is the gospel 1A, the, the way into God's kingdom. I know she's giving me that side eye, like, where are you going here? But then you also have the gospel uh, of the way into God's kingdom. Sorry, the way of God's kingdom. So the way into God's kingdom, that's one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is the way of God's kingdom. So I want to highlight some of these verses because I think uh, of both sides of the coin, um, because I think that will help us understand what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Okay. So here's some verses that talk about the way into God's kingdom. First would be John 3, 1. There's a verse that uh, I'm sure we're all, we're all familiar with, John 3, 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, one thing that we can pick up on right away is that you can't just be born into the kingdom of God. Uh, This would be a concept that uh, Jews would have believed that you were basically born into God's family and as a Jew. Uh, but Jesus is saying, no, you, you're going to have to be born again, born from above. Um, it's going to have to be a work that God does in us. So think about the nature and character of God as we talk about the way into God's kingdom, because the way into God's kingdom as we think about the nature and uh, character of God toward us, absolutely highlights to us the way of God's kingdom. I'm going to try to say that again. The way into God's kingdom really informs the way of God's kingdom. It shows us a picture of God most clearly demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ that shows us who we are being recreated to be. That's a mouthful. Um, But let's keep going and we'll think about this a little bit more, okay? So this is Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. All right, so again, this is how we enter into the kingdom of God. Paul writes in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, uh, first of all, that would be a very dangerous statement to make. It's very similar to the statement that Mark makes at the beginning of his gospel when he says this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a treasonous statement in the time that Mark's gospel was written. It's a treasonous statement at the time that Paul's writing Romans because to them, there's only one Lord and that's Caesar. There's only one gospel and that's Caesar's. There's only one savior and that's Caesar's. And so to, to say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is you are laying it all on the line. You are laying, basically, you're carrying your cross. You're picking up your cross, laying your life down, picking up your cross. Um, it's very similar to what could happen in a place like India, uh, in particularly in areas that are very um, radicalized with Hinduism. If you confess Jesus as Lord or you get baptized in a river professing Jesus to be Lord in, in several areas in India, you're going to be hunted down most likely and killed. Um, I know a lot of people think Hinduism is a, is a peaceful religion, but it is absolutely not in its place of origin, at least. It's a very violent and oppressive religion toward uh, Christians. But remember, if we're saying that Jesus is Lord, then we're also saying that he is uh, the reflection, uh, the best reflection of God. He is the image of the invisible God if he is Lord. And so um, we are saying that he is the picture of righteousness and that he is our master. And um, so that's that's pretty neat because again, this is not something that you can work. This is something that's being done for you. And you can see like basically shadows, hints of this in uh, John 3 and Romans 10, because it's not saying if you do this, if you do that, um, that's a work of righteousness. It is believing in him. And in Romans 9, and you have to be born from above, basically, born again by God in John 3. Anything standing out to you right now, Steph? Yeah, just how that must have sounded, you know, to, to be born again, that kind mm. of thing, or, you know, what you'd have to give up in order to follow Jesus. Like, it's mm. it's completely different than the gospel that we hear in America, which mm. is like, close your eyes, bow your head, <laughs> Raise your hand if you want to become a Christian. Now pray this prayer. And then while everybody's leaving the building, you can go meet with the, one of these prayer counselors in this room. And, and get a water bottle. And get a water bottle. Get a complimentary Coffee gift. Cup. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's commercializing the gospel and making it very accessible. Bumper which, sticker. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's not what Jesus was calling people to. In fact, what Jesus called him to was hard and he made it clear up front, this is going to be difficult. Yeah. And yeah. The way of is, uh, of the kingdom is very difficult uh, to follow him. And yeah. yet he's the, the one doing the work to get us in. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you see hints of that in, in Romans 10, 10, 
For with the heart a person believes, this is resulting in righteousness. So we are receiving Jesus's righteousness based on believing in what he did and who he is. That's a very, very merciful and gracious act of God. Titus 3, 3, for we also once were foolish. Now listen to these words um, describing all of us. Paul is including all of us here. We also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. These are the people that the Lord Jesus Christ offers his righteousness to, offers to be to help them be born again into his family. That's just, this is very, very merciful. And Paul says, but, but, but when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit being born from above, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If if you haven't read that passage before, if that's new to you, if you're watching this, I would encourage you to just meditate on that for a long time. Really study that passage out of Titus because that passage is just jam-packed full of the way into the gospel. I just want to give you, or into the kingdom of God. Uh, that's like gospel 1A. And I just want to give you one more passage of scripture about the way into the kingdom. Can I just say something about that one? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I think we don't, we don't like to be confronted with our, our sin, but I think that that, I think that's like you were saying a picture of the gospel. There's so much like, oh, I have done that. I'm, I wouldn't think of myself as someone who hates people or, you know, whatever, but there's the hope that Mm. comes with that. And that, you know, that's who we were before Christ. And, you know, we've been transformed. And I think that's, or that, you know, for those that are not believers yet, this is the power of God's transformation, um, that he can take us from being people who value our own needs first and um, turn us into people who reflect the image of our father. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um and, you know, we know in, in uh, Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, it's by grace that you've been saved um, through faith. So I've been highlighting a lot of the grace aspect. Um, I want to highlight the faith aspect a little bit with uh, this last passage. This John chapter one, not first John, but John chapter one, starting in verse nine. All right. So he, John writes, there was the true light which was coming into the world. He's speaking of Jesus, which enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, 
He gave to them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. So, I mean, I I was saying this highlights, you know, the faith aspect that really highlights both, again, the grace and the faith. But just talking about the the faith aspect, um, this word, received him. To those who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Like Paul would say in Titus 3, heirs, heirs. That's incredible. But this word receive is lambano. And uh, one of the pictures of lambano, what it means to receive, it's not, a, it's not really a passive thing. It's a very um, active type of receiving. It, it means basically to lay hold of something forcefully, forcefully laying hold of it. And so like one of the analogies that I do with students a lot of times when talking about this verse, I will have like a a 10 or a $20 bill and I'll just put it on the floor in front of me. And I'll say, who wants this $20 bill? And a lot of times the students will kind of look at each other like, uh, is this for real? (laughs) And eventually, one or two of them will slowly start to raise their hands. And I'm like, I don't believe y'all. Who wants this $20 bill? And then a lot more people will raise their hands. And I'll look at them like, I don't believe you. You guys don't want this 20 Who wants this 20 And then they're raising their hands and they're like kind of shouting a little bit. I want it. I want it. And I'm like, I don't believe y'all. Not a single one of you guys wants this 20 And then inevitably, and it's happened every time that I've done this, and I've probably done this about four or five times, inevitably one person will kind of sheepishly stand up and slowly move to the 20. They're like, is this a joke? Can I I do this? You know, like they're just kind of, yeah, they're kind of creeping up there and eventually like, takes it and I'll be like, yeah, see, she wants the 20. She's the one that actually wanted it. I'm like, you, and they're like standing there just like holding it, you know, like, should I give it back to you? I'm like, no, you can keep it. You know, that's great. That's great. Uh, Sit down. You got to get up and go get it. This is a gift for you. It's not something that we can earn, but you have to exercise the faith to receive it. You got a lambano, go get it. So anyways, uh, getting back into it, let's get into the way of God's kingdom. Now, remember I was talking about how the way into God's kingdom really informs the way of God's kingdom because the way into God's kingdom shows how incredibly merciful our God is. So starting in Matthew 4, 23, I'm gonna read Matthew 4, 23 to Matthew 5, 12, okay? Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, that's the theme of Jesus' message. He talks about the kingdom of God over a hundred times. And he's healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. News about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to to him 
And he opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, now watch this. I just want to, I just want to put out real quick. A lot of times we think like Jesus is trying to turn our world upside down, but the reality is we're born into the upside down basically. And Jesus is turning it right side up. He's showing us the way that we are intended to be, which is a reflection of the image of God. And so when you're about to hear these things, basically it's just a picture of Jesus and his life. This is who we are being born again to be. This is the way of the kingdom of God, because this is the way of the king, okay? It's the way of the kingdom of God because it's the way of the king. So let's get into this. Matthew 5, he opened his mouth, began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that is a very um, succinct picture of the way of the kingdom of God. So the gospel is demonstrating to us the gospel of the kingdom of God demonstrates the way into the kingdom of God. No one can be can uh, enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And clearly that is a work of God. And then if you're going to be a reflection of the kingdom of God, this is the way of the kingdom of God because it's the way of the king. Um, if you're going to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God, you are uh, imitating the king, basically. And those qualities in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount are the way of the king. Uh, BRC 7591 says, is there a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? No, no, that's a great question. It's just uh, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and kingdom of heaven is more of like a Jewish uh, term. And so Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use kingdom of God. Okay, that's, it's, it's highlighting the same thing though. Um, that's a great question, ma'am. All right, so... Let's continue in Philippians chapter one. Let's go back there because we've talked about basically the way of the kingdom and that should show us what it means to live in a manner um, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Paul's going to highlight a few other areas as well. And I want you, as we read through this, as we, there are four basically, there, there, there are four uh, aspects of that Paul uses in Philippians of living in a manner, conducting our lives um, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I want you to think about them from a military context. Think about how military, basically, these sound because or how they could be used in war, how important these things are in war. This is a, this is a book of warfare. I know Ephesians um, just has some incredible warfare passages but um, 
Philippians is a book about warfare, but it's warring in the manner of the king. Mm. Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Um, and it continues without being frightened in any way by your opponents. These are going to be the four things that, that we're going to highlight. But standing firm, you see this also in 2 Thessalonians 2. This is right after Paul has been talking about, he's talking about the last days, like the very last days, being in the tribulation, uh, the days just before Jesus' return and we're gathered to him, uh, how the uh, great there's going to be a great apostasy that happens, a great falling away from the faith, and the Antichrist is going to be revealed in God's temple, declaring himself God, exalting himself beyond everything that's called God. Um, he's going to be, uh, as Revelation 13 talks about as well, um, he and the false prophet are going to be doing some incredible signs and wonders that, um, if possible, will deceive even the elect. And he talks about how God then was going to send a strong deception, a grand delusion upon those who do not. And there are two things he talks about, people who do not uh, love the truth. And um, one other thing, believe in the truth. You don't love the truth and believe in the truth. And this is clearly warfare talk because this is when Jesus has returned to annihilate evil. And so uh, that Second Thessalonians 2 passage is warfare Absolutely, a warfare passage. And so in 2 Thessalonians 2, when Paul says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. He is talking about, that's the truth that he's talking about right there. The traditions that they were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from him. This is the apostolic truth that Paul is talking about. When James talks, or sorry, not James, when Jude talks about the faith once delivered for all, once for all time delivered to us, these are the words, the teachings of Jesus Christ and his apostles. And we are to hold firm to that. Do you love the truth? And do you believe in the truth? Are you standing firm in it? Standing firm, not being scared, not backing down, standing firm. You notice Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't fight with worldly weapons, but he is not a coward. He does not back down from a fight. He just fights in a totally different way. Uh, Kathy, Kathy said, um, it's easier to see that apostasy taking place now the way things are now. Yeah, because, you know, when when our lives are being threatened, when our families' lives are being threatened, um, in just like, are we going to be able to have basic things that we, we need to survive? You see, um, I don't know, there was a, a passage that a form, my former homiletics pastor, a uh, professor said, his name is Dr. Brooks from Tallawood Baptist, just an incredible pastor. He, uh, he said, when you're bumped, you're, you're, you spill what you're filled with. When you're bumped, you spill with what you're filled with. And so you can see um, the, the superficial nature of a lot of our faith. And even mine too. I mean, I, I get, I've gotten so frustrated during this time. It's so much easier to just be like on 
I don't know, just on edge yeah. during this time. And I mean, I just think about that passage of Jesus from Matthew 24, how the love of most will grow cold. Man, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's easy to see this kind of stuff yeah, now, but my goodness, it hasn't even, this is nothing compared to what's coming. Absolutely nothing. This is child's play compared to what's coming upon the earth. Humanity has not seen the evil, has never seen the evil that is going to be coming upon the earth. We've never witnessed it yet. No one has. And you think about all the horrible things that have happened to followers of God throughout the millennia. It has not come close yet to what's coming. So, um, Matthew Marcel says, being born again is dying to yourself, the sinful life, and receiving Jesus, his righteous life. First comes the exchange life, then comes the changed life. I don't think... Um, I don't think that went through first time I typed. Yeah. Hey, no, that's a great comment, man. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's great. Hey, D, thanks for hanging out with us. All right. So we are called to stand firm, but how are we called to stand firm? All right. Just continuing uh, right here, if you can see on the screen. Brian asks, worse in the future or before with Noah? Oh, way worse. Yeah. Worse in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Time is coming that has never happened before, nor will happen ever again, um, this tribulation that's coming. And Paul talks about us being in tribulation, or John talks about us being in tribulation. He was in tribulation in the first century, and yet that does not hold a candle. I mean, when John's writing, and sorry, let me pull this up again, just to give you a little bit of um, a taste of what John's going through. Uh, when he's writing in uh, chapter two of Revelation, I'm going off the top of my head. So if I mess this up, correct me, okay, please. But uh, I believe it's at the church of Pergamum when he's talking about faithful servant Antipas. Well, uh, early Christians talk about how Antipas, got, uh, God's faithful servant, Jesus' faithful servant, he was like slow roasted in a bronze bull. So basically they put him in a giant bronze bull and they lit a fire and over long, long period, they would maybe get it to like, you know, 150 degrees or something like that. Ask him, do you want to renounce Jesus? And he'd say no. And then they'd, they'd, you know, heat it up a little bit higher. And so this guy is, he was slow roasted inside a bronze bull. Now that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. You know, the martyrs that we see today, you know, they uh, maybe get shot in the head or something or their heads cut off. And that is atrocious, just atrocious. But my goodness, the evil that was unleashed in those first several centuries that got unleashed again in like Spanish inquisitions, it will not compare to what's coming. And I know a lot of stuff that we talk about and that we've been talking about in Philippians has been talking about death, but, you know, life is preparation for the next life, for eternal life. And that eternal life is either a life of life or a life of destruction. And it's just a blink of an eye, this life is. I mean, like people came into the house the other day to help fix with some plumbing stuff. And this guy asked me how old I was. And I told him I was four. And he started laughing at me. And he thought it was funny. He called his friend over and he's like, this guy thinks he's 40 years old. Swear to us that you're 40, you know? And I'm like, I promise, man, I'm 40 years old. You just had to throw in a story about how everybody No, but it's young. just like, <laughs> I was thinking about the other day, like I may look like I'm a lot younger than I am, but yeah. half of my life is over. Yeah. Looks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
I've got an expiration date that's like everybody else's. Yeah. And that's if I live, you know, a, a full life. Right. And um, so, yeah, I'm sorry that this stuff gets like a little bit dark, but we got we to gotta be prepared. Paul's trying to, he's writing to people that are, they're not living until they're 80 years old. People in Paul's day aren't living that long. No. Paul is an old man and he's probably in his 50s at that time. Like, and he's old to, to his audience. These people are, mm, they're going through it. So let's, let's keep going. And I, I apologize for having my little rabbit trails. But Paul says, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Now that one spirit and one mind, one mind comment really has to do with one will. You have one will. One driving force behind you. Like Jesus says in his prayer, not my will, but your will be done, mm. right? In his prayer in the Garden of the Gethsemane, you see that in the Lord's Prayer as well, right? May your kingdom become, may your will be done. We are supposed to stand firm with one mind, one will. And uh, that's not to grow the... Um, to grow a church building right, or to promote a church name. This is about growing the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. furthering the kingdom of God. So stand firm with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, striving together. Soon uh, aletho, and you can see here what looks to be like the beginning of a word that we know, athlete, yeah. like an athlete kind of thing. And you see that in uh, soon is with, and athleto is like striving, and you see it used competing together with others, competing or cooperating vigorously with. So, you know, what, what that made me think of when I saw that is tug of war. Okay. You know, because mm -hmm. you are competing together with one, with others, and you got to have the same mindset. Mm -hmm. We are going this way, and yeah. this is what we're going to do. Like, if, if that line breaks down, you're going to end up in that pool of mud or whatever it is. You're going to get messy, yeah. and everybody's got to pull their weight. You got to compete vigorously, going in the same direction, one mind. This is competing. This is vigorous competition in a sense. And um, you got to be striving. You got to do this together. All right. So standing firm with one mind, striving, competing hard, cooperating vigorously with this one mind. And the last one going into verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. That word is also used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, and he says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So he's in Ephesus when he writes 1 Corinthians. Uh, until Pentecost, 
for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Remember, he stayed in Ephesus for quite a while. And if you remember uh, in Ephesus, that's where he was uh, teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus and the gospel goes throughout basically all of Asia Minor because of what he's doing. So yeah, a huge door had been opened to Paul, but there were many adversaries, opponents, same basic word, um, that were there in Ephesus. And if you think about it, there were the members of the synagogue that were persecuting him and maligning him. There were the sons of Sceva who were going around saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out and trying to like take people away from the faith and bring glory to themselves. Right. Yeah, they got, they got a, a handful of opposition themselves from a team, just one. And um, you had Demetrius, uh, the silversmith, and the craft, other craftsmen of Ephesus who were saying that Paul was basically causing their whole industry to shut down because they made idols. And Paul had been coming against their idolatry, uh, uh, their worship of Diana uh, or Artemis, same uh, god goddess, whether Roman or Greek, uh, Roman, Diana, Artemis, Greek, and um, they were losing their business. The kingdom of God was bad for the economy. And that's an interesting one. And so they tried to have Paul uh, rounded up, if you remember that, but instead they got some of Paul's companions. Then Paul wanted to go into the arena where you got thousands of people there. And he wanted to go basically take on, confront, thousands of people who hated him because you think of of all the tension that's in our country right now because of the economy yeah. the fear surrounding that well this was a major city in the roman empire that's economy is crumbling because of the gospel and you know when people touch your money they're going to get touched up you know i mean you know it's like we don't want people messing with our money because that's how we take care of our family. Well, this man, Paul, is taking away from a major aspect of the economy of Ephesus. And he's going to confront all of these people, but his friends basically have to drag him away to keep him from going in there because he would have gotten killed. They would have killed him. So he's got thousands of opponents and adversaries there in Ephesus. And yet God is like, no, nah, man, this is going to be awesome. You remember all of the witch, the witches burning their, um, their books of magic and all that stuff. Like the gospel is just taken off in Asia. So pretty neat stuff that's going on. No way alarmed by their opponents. So again, the four aspects, and we're going to get into this picture down here of conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel is standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, a sign of destruction for them, of salvation for you. And you think about that. This is, a, this is a Roman army down here. And this is a tactic known as testudo, which means tortoise in Latin. And they would use this method, this like shield wall thing, when they're coming up against just an incredible force. 
it's both a defensive and an offensive maneuver. As you see, they're coming up against this, this wall as these opponents are throwing down javelins and you got a millstone right mm -hmm. here that's being tossed down on those millstones weigh thousands of pounds that's being thrown down on them. Now you can see if there's any kind of a breach in that shield wall, they're going to get annihilated. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Yeah, so they've got to strive together, right? Mm -hmm. They've got to strive together. They've got to stand firm with one mind and they can't be scared because if one guy gets scared and he drops that shield or he tries to run, it's going to harm everybody else. This is a picture of warfare. Now you can imagine the opponents inside that that uh, castle or that city as they're they're trying so hard to, to annihilate this Roman uh, army and yet the unity of that Roman army, them striving together with this one mind, not being alarmed, it is a sign that this city is about to crumble and these Romans are going to be saved, you know? Yeah. We are doomed and they are victorious. And... You know, it's also a picture right here of what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew uh, 16, I believe, that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the gospel. The gates of Hades. That's not a defensive statement. That's an offensive statement. Yeah. That these walls, these gates are not going to keep us out. Just like that Roman army right there, that wall is not going to keep us out. But we gotta we gotta do the defense and offense at the same time as we're storming that castle. All right. So I, I think that's um a really cool picture thinking of those of the gospel uh, sorry, of the early apostles, um, then disciples uh, after Jesus is gone. Um just imagining what they were going through and all the persecution they were enduring, knowing that they were in it together and they knew they could remind each other, you know, yes, this is scary, but do you remember this time when Jesus did whatever miracle it was and um, being there to encourage each other and they basically all die martyrs deaths and do it willingly and joyfully because they're there supporting one another and they're there. Um, they know they're suffering together with this, with their brothers. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, take care, Matthew. Um, so yeah, you got a, a cool picture of kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. In uh Revelation 12. I'm gonna hit this a little bit. Uh just brief note, just kind of put aside the eschatology for right now. I'm not telling you not to read Revelation 12 without an eschatological lens, but just put that down and think about the principle that's being taught here, okay? Just for right now. Um so Revelation 12, verse 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So some warfare going on, right? Then I heard in a loud voice in heaven saying, a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down and he who accuses them before God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. That overcame is warfare language. It's or or like um, like uh, Roman games language. This idea of Gladiator. victory, yeah, victory, yeah. overcoming. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb. Think about the apostles, and by the word of their testimony. That testimony word is martus. This idea of martyr. They beat. Satan, by not loving their life, even when faced with death, they defeat their competition. It's a sign of the destruction of their opponents. And you think about passages like Acts 5 and Acts 4. And I mean, it's just incredible. They are, they are scaling the walls of Hades in this regard, mm. being united in this uh, front. Yeah. I mean, we... I just, I keep thinking about, um, you know, how none of us is going to live forever. You know, we all are going to die in some way. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think I want to die in a terrible way, <laughs> but, you know, I want, I want my death to count and I don't know, you know, what that means and how it can affect other people. But, um, I think a lot of times we we try and hold on to it because it, we're afraid, and you know you see the impact that the disciples had and these early um, Christ, early believers that were willing to lay down their life for the gospel. Hmm. It's powerful. Yep. Yeah, Aristides said in uh, one twenty five and in a, um, an apology to the emperor that speaking of the Christians. We comfort our oppressors and make them our friends. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. That's part of his defense of Christianity, the power of Christianity, that Christians comfort their oppressors and make them friends. Hey, Froggy, good to see you. Brian has a... Yeah, a Brian comment, says, yeah. maybe we have gone soft in countries that have been blessed. The people from past persecution, uh, we do not know. Yeah, I mean, and you got to think about um, that word blessed and uh, what Jesus says blessed is. Mm -hmm. You know, what the celebrities say, uh, I've been blessed, I'm blessed, you know, um, when in their acceptance speeches. God blessed me with 12 cars. <laughs> and what Jesus says is blessed. Yeah. It's upside down or it's right side up, mm. which is which. Uh, Kathy says, dying... Being faithful to the Lord, your death will count and be precious in God's sight. Amen mm -hmm. to that. That's Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Um, I won't read this all now, but uh, I had in my notes, I was going to read like a huge, huge section, <laughs> huge of uh, <laughs> Acts 16, uh, which is the de description of what happened in Philippi, how the church at Philippi was formed. And here's a little homework assignment for you. I would encourage you to read Acts 16 and 
highlight the ways that it describes Paul's statement of conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven, and the ways that Paul and Silas uh, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, how Paul and Silas strive together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by their opponents. And then then like also highlight how that was a sign to their opponents of those opponents' destruction, but of salvation for Paul and Silas. Really, really neat study there because so much of what Paul says in the letter of Philippians is um, is sprinkled with the context of Acts 16 because that is their birth. That's the description of how the church was founded. The acts of the apostle Paul and Silas basically that um, brought about the inception of uh, the church. So, so much of what he's saying they would be calling those those events to mind. It gives a lot of context to um, how we should interpret that because that's how Paul is basically that's the that's the um, that's the foundation that Paul is appealing to to help them understand the message that he's trying to convey to them. Uh, another thing I would encourage y'all to check out. Um, Chad Riley posted this this link up here uh, this past week, a story of a woman named Virginia Prodan or Prodan. She is from Romania and she was involved in, um, she was an advocate, like a lawyer for helping oppressed people, uh, oppressed Christians in Romania during the presidency of Ronald Reagan, because there was a tremendous amount of uh, persecution of Christians in Romania, and just a brief synopsis, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, so she was very outspoken, and she got arrested. She got tortured. She was tortured. But uh, at her trial, ambassadors from Canada and the United States and other places showed up, and her story became known uh, to some of the uh world officials, basically. Now, there were laws in place in Romania at the time. This is obviously in the 80s during the reign of Reagan. Reign. During the reign of Reagan. During the presidency. (laughs) During the presidency of Reagan. uh, And uh, there were rules and there were laws in place in Romania to protect uh, religious freedom. But what she learned uh, is that those were just there to fool places, countries like America into thinking that there was religious freedom in Romania, but Mm. there really wasn't. They just kind of covered up all the oppression, having this appearance of it. Anyway, um, so she obtained, well, I I won't go into the whole thing, but basically the president sent an assassin to her house posing as a client Mm. of hers. She got you know, set free, but an assassin was sent to her house. And what she did when this assassin came to her house and told her he was there to kill her, she began to preach the gospel to him. And the assassin gave his life 
to Jesus there in her room. That's awesome. Yes. And she wrote a book about it. And her assassin wrote one of the chapters of her book. It's basically like the book of Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar, the great opponent of Daniel, who Daniel witnessed to on numerous occasions while Nebuchadnezzar was trying to kill him and his buddies, right? Nebuchadnezzar picks up the pen and writes one of the chapters in the book of Daniel. Hmm. And think about the incredible witness evangelist that Nebuchadnezzar became, Hmm. you know? So this is just an incredible picture of her striving for the gospel with God's will in mind, not being afraid, not at all afraid of her opponents, Hmm. not backing down, standing firm, but just doing it in the way of Jesus. Think Jesus and the centurion overseeing his crucifixion. And what does that that centurion say um, at the end of his death? Surely this man was the son of God. Yeah. You know, so check that out when you have some time. That's that's incredible. I mean, it's an, it's awesome to think um, how she would have lost her life for for sure if she had been afraid and she had responded in fear, like any one of us would have. Um, I think a lot of us are a natural reaction. I'm, I'm from Texas. The natural reaction if somebody shows up at your house that's not supposed to be there is to go grab your gun, <laughs> protect yourself, stand your ground, whatever the phrasing you want to use. But God works so powerfully when we like take that step back and we, you know, ask God to to give us peace and we we trust that He is at work even in the scariest situations. And I can't imagine how scary that was, but God saved her life and this assassin's. Like that would have, who knows if that guy would have ever come to know the Lord if it weren't for her influence. I mean, it's not as if being a Christian in Romania was easy from what you were saying. So yeah, not at all. so there probably weren't a whole lot of at least vocal Christians around. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's incredible. Yep. I'm going to have to read that book. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Now, check this out. Here's some more upside down for us, or rather right side up. Um Paul says, for, this is verse 29 of Philippians 1, for it has been granted, granted for Christ's sake. You have been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now think about, the conflict that they saw in Paul. They saw in Paul, Paul being beaten with rods. They saw in Paul against the law, an illegal torturing of Paul, beaten with rods, thrown into prison, put in the stocks, all without a trial. Horrible, horrible torture. And he's saying that you guys are experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And so he is now in prison in Rome for the gospel as he's writing that. So again, from prison to prison, you know? So, but, but think about how Paul, what Paul says. It's just, it doesn't make sense 
in a normal mindset, all right? Paul says that you have been granted this. You have been granted by God and for God's sake, not only to believe in him. That's a gift, to believe in, to believe. Faith is a gift of God, right? You've not only been gifted the ability to believe in him, but you've also been gifted the opportunity to suffer for his sake. And if you think that's wrong, which I mean, it just sound, it just doesn't sound right, right? Well, the word is charisomai. Charisomai comes from charis, which is the word for grace. Grace, extending God's favor to you. This is a favor. Like, can I have a favor, God? Please, will you do me a favor, God? Will you help me to get out of debt? You know, like that kind of, will you please give me a favor? And God's like, yeah, I'll give you a favor. It is a favor from God. It's God's favor toward us to suffer for him, yeah. for his sake. That's it. But remember, God, we don't see things the way that God sees things. We don't see things correctly. God sees them how they are because God is thinking from an eternal perspective, right? We think from a very temporal perspective. We think more about what's happening right now. And, you know, we get better at that as we get older. You know, kids are thinking very much like in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we get better at that as we age, but we still struggle with this because we sin. Yeah. I mean, when we sin, we're thinking it would be better for me to disobey God than to obey God. At least better for me right now. We're not thinking from an eternal perspective. And in the same way, God is saying it's actually a gift to you to be able to suffer for Christ's sake. He's not just talking about suffering in general. That's not what he's talking about. Right. But if we're suffering for Christ's sake, that is actually a gift from God. Jesus said that, and I'm going to read a little bit from Luke chapter 6. It's starting in verse 22. It's a part of the Sermon on the Plain. It's a little bit shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount with a few um, minor... Uh, you know, changes. And it's not, it's, it's just basically Luke is writing. A, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, no, ahead. I was just going to say that the phrase that was coming to mind as you're talking about all of that is delayed gratification. Mm. And that's something that, you know, in psychology, they'll say, you know, kids don't have this. They don't understand this concept. They understand it more the older they get. I think the more that we, like you were saying, the more we mature in Christ, the more that we understand this concept that this, this life, this time right now feels important, but I know that it's just like a blip in all of eternity. Like it's just a short little time. And so if my suffering right now produces ripples throughout eternity, then that is the delayed gratification. If it is something that, you know, when we stand before a maker and we're told like, well done, good and faithful servant, like that's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much we're conscious or we're aware, you know, beyond our, our death of the effects of it, but we, we can see it in the other people that we've known that have been faithful and the effects uh, that, you know, their faithful life has long after they're gone. Now, Froggy asked a question. She said, then we know that we are his kids. You know, you're hitting on something that comes right out of Romans chapter eight and where Paul is talking about um, sons of God. 
heirs with him. And we, he says that we know that we are his children if we suffer with him so that we will also be glorified with him. What is that verse? Um, I don't remember the exact number, but it's from Romans 8. I think it's around like maybe verse 19 or something there. You can look it up if you want. Um, but it's in the teens, I okay. believe, or the early 20s in Romans chapter 8. Sorry that my... my I know. Uh, you usually are really good at me. saying the verse right off Maybe the it's bat. like 16. I don't know. No, that's okay. If somebody in the chat can look it up, that'd be awesome too. Uh, 17. 17 maybe? Yeah, 17. Okay. You're so close. Not not, not precise. <laughs> anyway, uh, now I just want to give a quick... I, wouldn't, I, I was going to read a ton of scripture tonight, but I'll paraphrase a little bit. But think about John the Baptist, right? So this guy, Jesus says he's, uh, of those born among women, no one's greater than John, right? This guy is called righteous. He is basically been living one of the best lives ever lived in all of humanity, right? And what does he get for it? He's thrown in prison and beheaded. Great. You know, and while he's in prison, he really believes that since Jesus is, is casting out demons and performing miracles and all that, he believes based on scripture that and the tradition of his time that Jesus is about to right all of the, the wrongs, destroy evil and reign forever. Like that's what John believes, you know? When are you gonna get me out of prison? Surely you're gonna get me out of prison because all these things are happening and we're gonna rule together, you know? That kind of an, an idea. And that's not what Jesus came to do. You know, I'm sure that was kind of disappointing for John. But think about John right now. As frustrated as he was there in prison, how do you think he feels about his prison stay right now? You think he thinks it was worth it? You know, that's not that's like the understatement of the year, you know? Of course he thinks it was worth it. Like I was able to go to prison for the gospel. I was blessed with the opportunity to be beheaded for the gospel. Like that's incredible. That's just incredible. You see these martyrs have like a special place in the Bible. Like you see, they have a special place in, it seems like they have a special place in heaven. You read Revelation chapter five, I believe, or six, uh, Revelation six, we're talking about the martyrs. I think this is with the fifth seal, maybe. Yeah, like it's just, and they're waiting, like, how long? It's just incredible. These people have a different view of suffering. Um, let's wrap this up. So, or at least get on the last leg. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. That word conflict, agon, agon, right? Sound like agony, agonize, right. It's a contest, a grueling conflict or fight, okay? Like Paul talks about fighting the good fight of faith. Paul is not a sissy. Jesus is not a sissy. The apostles were not sissies. These guys were fighters. They just fought in a different way. They fought in a different way. In the ancient world, these contest could be so severe that they caused the toughest men to crumble. That's all from Strong's Concordance. Agon. All right. 
Paul is saying that you are in an incredible fight. You are in the fight of your life. This fight is for the gospel, for the progress of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel, uh, for the glory of Jesus, for his namesake. This is a fight. This is a war. Remember, we talked about Philippians is a warfare book. It absolutely is a warfare book. And it's showing you the way to fight. Second uh, Corinthians kind of hits on this. In chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So Paul is saying we are at war. We just fight the way that Jesus fought. Remember Jesus in uh, John 18, when he's confronted by Pilate and Pilate's like, so uh, you are, he says like, are you the king of the Jews? And uh, Jesus says like, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my soldiers would pick up swords and fight, you know? So Jesus is a king. He is waging war. He just doesn't wage war as the world um, views war. He doesn't wage war with worldly weapons. And uh, do you have something? Mm-mm. Okay. So I just wanted to highlight a passage that shows all of these things all together. Um, striving, with, striving together with one mind, standing firm, not being afraid of your opponents and how this is a sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and how it's a gift to suffer for Christ. It's a gift to go through what he got, went through. So I think this passage that we're going to read and we're going to kind of close with um, really highlights this. This is in Acts chapter five, and I'm basically going to read it. And then again, I want you to think about how this all shows our passage, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Just think about how it shows all of these truths that we've been, we've been laying out. Just think about it and then we'll pray, all right? So maybe if you wanna close your eyes and listen or if you wanna read along, I'm using, uh, I'm using the NAS to do this. So what it, do you want me to? Sorry, I tapped you. I didn't mean to. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> you go ahead. And you're like, okay, we, they get the point. Okay. No. All right. <laughs> read more Bible. That's, that's yeah, the important so part. Here we go. This is Acts chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse 17. All right, now just a little bit of the context. The apostles have been doing incredible signs and wonders and so many more people are coming to believe in them. This actually happens right after the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. So Acts 5, starting in 17, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of life, of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Excuse me. (laughs) Oh, that was a burp. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together even all the synod of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. 
But the officers who came back did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue the teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, and then you can read that. That's the that's verse 35. I'm going to jump to verse 38. So in the present case, this is Gamaliel talking, this is in 38. In the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. So they took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Change in a day, so listen up. I've got quite a story for you. And what I what I saw turned a skeptic to faith. Don't turn away, cause I've gotta tell you the news. Rome is a false savior, so follow the truth. Strangers on the colony way Walking with a strong faith Pull some chains to be loose They met a young girl Was a 
Stop. It left me confused and so 